Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Man, I'm excited about what God is going to do. Hey, I want to say this real quick. And thank you for the prayers. Uh, the past week and a half at my house has really looked a lot like this. Uh, we've had four kids with strep and flu. And one of our kids had, had scarlet fever just for the fun of it, right? Just to throw it in there. And it has been crazy. But you're, man, you've brought meals. You've prayed for us. You've been so kind. And listen, I hate it that my babies got sick. Now, I, I got sick before them. And they got sick after me. And I hate when my kids are sick. But us men get a bad rap. That we suffer man flu a lot, right? And so my, my wife, I know, was convinced that early on I had man flu until the, the kids got really sick. And so I'm just telling you, I hate that they're sick, but I'm vindicated today. It wasn't man flu again. It was flu flu and some strep and all that good stuff. And, uh, and, and, but we're, we're doing a whole lot. But most of the time it is man flu, I promise. But this time, this one time, it wasn't. But thank you for your prayers. I, you know this to be true, don't you? That life is full of important and impactful conversations, isn't it? Our life is chock full of them. I think back to the day, probably now 17 years ago. Aaron and I have been married 15 years in a couple of weeks. I remember when I texted Aaron's daddy. He said, hey, I want to take you to lunch. You pick the place, and he pick Chick-fil-A, you know, where the Holy Spirit eats lunch, and, and, and you know, I thought, man, that's a good step, and, and I'll never forget, gosh, how sick I was in my stomach at the thought of having to ask him for his daughter's hand, and just how nervous I was, and so we sat there at Chick-fil-A, huddled over Christian chicken, and my voice was weak and shaky, and I remember having a conversation with Eric and saying, hey, Eric, I'd, I'd love to marry your daughter. He said no. No, okay, he said yes. And, and I remember thinking how that conversation <laughs> changed my life. I remember now what must have been six or seven years ago, Zach, uh, my brother-in-law, my wife Erin and I were in the ocean at Panama City. And, and I remember us beginning to have a conversation about what would it be if we left our beloved church in Charlotte, went back home to Old Sevier County, and planted a church. And we laughed and we laughed and we laughed and we went on. Well, that conversation two years later led to us moving back home. A really pregnant wife, three little babies and nothing. To come home and to plant Connect Church. And I remember that conversation that really changed everything for us. And you know what? My prayer is that maybe has changed some things for you as well. You see, a conversation can change everything. I remember over 10 years ago now, I was preaching somewhere and I came back home and my wife greeted me at the door and in her hand was this little plastic thing that was a test. And there were some bears or a pen, I don't remember what was on it, there was something on it. And she shared with me and had a conversation with me. Hey, Anthony, you're going to be a daddy. For the first time, you're going to be a dad. And oh man, how that conversation changed everything for our little family. Oh, how life-changing conversations can be. 
Well, there's a conversation that we happen upon in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It is one of those conversations. In fact, it's one of the greatest conversations in all the Bible, arguably in all of history. So I have affectionately named this series, let me find my remote here, affectionately this passage of Scripture, Nick at Night. If you've ever read the Bible, John chapter 3, you know where we're hinting at here. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 3 together. Now, as we start John chapter 3, it's important to note that we are really continuing on what is happening in John chapter 2. I'm going to tell you something. There's a few times with chapters and verses in Scripture that it's unfortunate how it's broken up. It's unfortunate. And this is one of those times because you think, hey, we're moving on into chapter 3, so we're new setting, new context. No, really, chapter 3 is a continuation of chapter 2. Now, I want to, because I'm a nerd, just so you know, a little bit of a nerd, um, I began a scavenger hunt this past week. You probably know this, but let me remind you of this. When Paul sat down and wrote his letters... When John wrote out the Gospel of John inspired by the Holy Spirit, when Moses would pen those first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, you got to realize when they first wrote those down, they, they did so without chapters and verses. Uh, chapters and verses were later additions to help us navigate the Word of God to easily find passages. It wouldn't be until 1560 with the Geneva Bible, which is the first English translation of the Bible for the first time in all of history that included chapters and verses along with the text and scripture. So you know what I did? Beginning early this past week, I began a search of Bible museums and the Bible curators to see if I could find a really old copy of the Gospel of John from the Geneva Bible. Well, evidently in Arizona, there's a Bible museum with a curator as dorky as I am, and man, he had a copy. And so I called him this past week, and I said, man, listen, can I buy that off of you? And he said, absolutely you can. And so what I have here is a leaf. Now, a leaf is just a portion of Scripture from an old Bible that has survived the time. It's not the entire Bible. In fact, I I actually took a screenshot of this. I got this late last night of what this looks like. And this is around the time of 1560, a leaf of the Geneva Bible. This thing is over 450 years old. It's brittle. Listen around. It's charred around the edges. You can sense that, you can see that, but what I hold in my hand is the first English translation of the Bible that for the first time included those chapters and verses that are so helpful to us today. Just so happened he did have the Gospel of John, and so I have the Gospel of John chapter 3 right here. Man, I enjoyed last night and this morning reading through it, but I say all that to say this. Yes, I'm a nerd, and I love this kind of stuff, But can I read you just real quick this certificate of authenticity? Uh, Of a lot of things it says about this, this leaf, this page from a Geneva Bible. It says this, As you look upon this treasure, history comes alive. Every teardrop, every stain, 
Every smudge or burn no doubt represents an attempt by the enemies of God to destroy the faith of its owner. Guys, I'm holding a Bible that was burned because it was a Bible. And this page survived it. And it said this, you possess a piece of history. Isn't that amazing? And we find ourselves here in one of the greatest conversations ever to be had in Scripture. And yet we find just an unfortunate break in the text because what we began to see is what was going on in Jesus' life last week continues on this week in chapter 3. It's a continuation of Jesus in Jerusalem at this Passover feast. Listen, he just cleaned house. He just rid his father's temple of money changers. He's already done flip tables, cracked the whip. People have fled. And immediately in this context, we start John chapter 3. Now, here's chapter 2. Towards the end of chapter 2, to kind of remind you where we were last week. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And here's where we camp out today in this conversation. Disregard chapter 3. Because we're just continuing on in the same context in time now. There was a Pharisee, a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And the Bible says this, that he came to Jesus at night. Nick, at night? Okay. Anyway, came to Jesus at night. But who is this Nicodemus? And here's what's amazing. Without the gospel of John, we would not know who he was. Nicodemus is found uniquely only in the gospel of John, and yet we learn what was most important of him. All we know of Nicodemus is found in John's gospel, yet in here in chapter 3, we are told this about Nicodemus, that he is a ruler. We know this, that he is a Pharisee, which was a position of power and of leadership. He was a teacher of the law, a religious authority. But he wasn't just a Pharisee. Not only here in chapter 3, but in chapter 7, we learn that he's part of the Sanhedrin. By the way, not every Pharisee, not every teacher of the law got to be a part of the Sanhedrin. That was a pretty special position. You see, the Sanhedrin was a governing body like our Supreme Court. They were the supreme authority over Jewish law and religion. So you know what that says about Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a pretty big deal. He's a pretty big deal. And the Bible says this about him, that he came to Jesus at night. Why this Nick at night scene? Why at night did he come to Jesus? Hey, hey, and by the way, <laughs> I've come to Jesus at night before too. In fact, there's been many dark nights Or I've gone to Jesus for conversation. But why Nicodemus? We know this. They might have come to this nighttime conversation with Jesus because he really didn't want the fanfare of this interaction with Jesus to be seen or known. Man, thank God not everybody sees or knows my conversations with Jesus at night. Why did he meet at night? 
because this nighttime clandestine covert meeting with Jesus afforded him privacy so that Nicodemus, who was curious about Jesus, could have a simple conversation with him, thus beginning one of the greatest conversations in all the Bible. Hey, can I just remind you something of Jesus before we go on? That Jesus is always open for conversation with his kids morning, noon, and night. And can I tell you this? Especially at night. I, I don't know why things seem to just be worse at night. If my heart is broken, it's even more broken at night. If my heart is heavy with worry or fear, it's just worse in the night. And yet Jesus, even at night, is open for his kids. I love a, a psalm. Psalm 121 is called a psalm of ascent. And so for those of you I get to take to Jerusalem, to Israel with me, uh, when we drive up into the city of Jerusalem, like the faithful Jews of old, we will read this psalm out loud. But watch what this psalm teaches us about the Lord. I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you, watch this, will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. You know what that means? No matter how dark your night, Jesus is there ready to have a conversation with you and with me. And I'm so thankful for this Nick at Night scene plays out in John chapter 3. You see, a, a conversation can change everything. Hey, soon this Nicodemus, cloaked in the darkness of night here in John chapter 3, would contend for Jesus in the light of day in John chapter 7. This very same Nicodemus here in John chapter 3 would later join forces with Joseph of, of, of Arimathea in John chapter 19 verse 38. And in the light of day, as every other disciple fled... Nicodemus would show great faith by tending to and taking care of the body of our crucified Jesus. Uh, you see, a conversation like we find in John chapter 3 can change everything. And here's how the conversation unfolds. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. Rabbi in Hebrew means my teacher. It was recognition by Nicodemus, a pretty important guy, that yes, Jesus was special, that he was a teacher. And not only that, that Jesus was without question, he was from God. In a sense, you know what Nicodemus is saying to Jesus in all this language? Hey, Jesus, we know you're one of us, right? Jesus, you're, you're one of us, aren't you? So what kind of Nicodemus is hinting out here. And this is flattery at its best. 
Nicodemus had heard and seen the signs Jesus performed during the Passover week, according to John chapter 2, verse 23. So did his colleagues, because there's some wee language here in John chapter 3. But was Jesus really one of them? Would he fall in line with their religion, their rigid practices, their self-righteous rituals? Or as Nicodemus wondered, was this a new religion that Jesus offered? Was he a new religious leader? And I love how Jesus answers Nicodemus. Jesus answers Nicodemus' flattery by an upfront, frank, and to-the-point conversation. You see, Jesus knew and could see Nicodemus' heart. And so, he gets to the heart of Nicodemus' curiosity. Remember what chapter 2 taught us about Jesus? That Jesus knew what was in each person. Like Nathaniel, who we've already studied in this gospel, Jesus knew Nicodemus long before this nighttime conversation, long before Nicodemus even knew Jesus' name. Jesus knew his heart, his hopes, what, where his happiness lied, his holiness, his hypocrisy, his habits, his hurts. Bottom line, Jesus knew Nick's heart better than Nick knew his heart. And by the way, Jesus knows your heart and my heart better than we do. Because you see, the psalmist teaches us that Jesus was the one who knit our heart together, even in our mama's womb. He knew his heart better than Nicodemus even knew his heart. So watch how Jesus replies to Nicodemus. All this flattering, Jesus says, hey, very truly I tell you, in fact, you know what? Let me read this from 450 years ago. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, ye cannot see the kingdom of God. In modern English, very truly I tell you, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Hey, do you notice how Jesus drops the formalities here? He dismisses the flattery and begins to deal with Nicodemus' faith. And now think of this, Nicodemus, hey, Jesus, I hear good things. Hey, Jesus, man, man, I'm hearing some really good things about you. Just want you to know. And Jesus says, hey, Nick, you must be born again. That was his answer. No, hey, no, thanks. Yeah, I've been trying to do some good stuff out there. Thanks for recognizing. I appreciate you. No, hey, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Seems harsh. But Jesus knew his heart. Do you know, I want you to notice something with me. Jesus answers not Nicodemus' words. Jesus answers his thoughts. Think of that. Nicodemus' words had no questions. They merely statements about Jesus. Jesus never answers Nicodemus' words. He answers his thoughts. And Jesus is really good at getting to the heart 
of what is on our hearts, on our minds. Apparently, the kingdom of God, salvation, hope was on the heart and the mind of Nicodemus. And so Jesus said to him, very truly, I tell you. You know what that phrasing in the Greek language really means? Very truly, I tell you. It means this, hey, Nick, I I need you to lean in. Hey, Nick. I need you to listen carefully because the truth I'm about to share with you can change your life. It is truth worth hearing. It is truth worth believing. It is truth worth living. Hey, Nick, lean in. Hey, Nick, listen closely. Very truly, I tell you, this whole conversation, hey, listen, you ready, church, has some shock value to it. Pharisees were the most religious, the epitome of, of prayer warriors. They were the examples of, of discipline. They were morally exceptional above everybody else. So let me just kind of put it in modern terms. You ready? They were the most behaved of Baptists, the most loyal of Lutherans, the most miraculous of the Methodists, the most caring of the Catholics, the most prayerful of the Presbyterians, and the most passionate of the Pentecostals of their day. And yet, religion, even a new one, would do no good to somebody like Nicodemus. Religion, to somebody like you and me, What Jesus begins to teach us will do us no good. You see, Nicodemus was alive to religion, and yet he was dead to God. He was alive in his religion, and yet still Nicodemus was dead to God. And so Jesus doesn't pacify. He does not coddle Nick. He loved him enough to share with him the truth. Nick, I need you to lean in and I need you to listen. What you need is not religion. You must be born again. You don't need a new religion. You need new life. I want you to hear me. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about behavior modification. It is about being born again means to be born again. Uh, John MacArthur, great preacher and author, said this, no matter how sincere, about John chapter 3, no matter how sincere, how religious, how how immersed in good works, everyone must be born again. I had the honor of um, being on the board of Hearts on Fire, which is a youth conference that brings and just thousands of students to this area. It happened this past weekend. Our students were a part. Man, just a great weekend. Uh, there was a speaker we had booked. His name's Jonathan Evans. You may not know his name, but you might know his daddy's name, Tony Evans, a great preacher and author. Better yet, you might know his sister's name, Priscilla Schreier, who does some of the best Bible studies on the planet. But I'm going to tell you something. Jonathan's amazing. He's a chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys, And so despite that, we still love him. And so he does just a lot of good preaching. And yesterday, he preached one of the best messages I'd ever heard. And so I went backstage, and I met him. I just said, man, thank you for preaching the word. 
And we had a conversation. One of the things that stuck out from his message yesterday was a phrase that he addressed, and that was the phrase, follow your heart. Follow your heart. Man, if there is ever an American anthem, it is those three words, follow your heart. And here's what he said. It sounds good, and it, and it feels good, but it is ungodly, it is unbiblical, and it is the undoing of everyone who will take its advice. Follow your heart. It is ungodly, it is unbiblical, and it is the undoing of everyone who simply follows their heart. You see, all of us have had a, a diagnosis done of our hearts. And let me tell you where that leaves us. Here's the diagnosis. You ready? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Hey, can I teach you something about your heart? Two things. It is deceitful, it is wicked, therefore it is diseased. And all of Scripture teaches us this about our heart. It will absolutely kill you. You know what Jonathan Evans said? Hey, he said, you know what? In a world that says, hey, follow your heart, he says, no, no, no. Put a leash on your heart and make it follow truth and make it follow Jesus. And you know what? Man, he was right. In a world of follow your heart, put a leash on your heart and make it follow truth and make it follow Jesus. You know what? You and I, we live in a world full of people with heart problems. You know how I know that is true? I have a heart problem. All of us do. We live in a world that cries simply this, I was... I was born this way, meaning this, that every sinful desire I have, every deviation from God's design that I'm tempted with, it is okay and right because I was born this way. But hear me, church, in a world that cries born this way, we have one message of truth, one message of hope, one message of love, and that is this, you must be born again. It is the message of Jesus because we are all born into sin. We are all born with a sin nature that is bent towards sin and self and against and away from God. We're all born into sin. And so, Jesus in engaging Nicodemus, understanding his diseased heart, his sinful heart, has one message of hope, one message of truth, and one message of love for Nicodemus. In a world that is born this way, you must be born again. You must be born again. Dr. Christian Bernard is famous for being the first doctor to ever perform a complete heart transplant meaning to take a person's heart out of their body and to put a new heart into their body. Well, he had done this procedure for a third time on Dr. Philip Blayberg, as you see pictured here. Then after the surgery and after Dr. Blayberg lived, he impulsively asked the question to him, would you like to see your old heart? And so on the following evening, 
at 8 o'clock p.m. in the Groot Shore Hospital in Johannesburg, South Africa. Dr. Bernard went to a cabinet in the room with Dr. Braver. He opened a cabinet, he reached and he grabbed a glass jar, and he took it from the cabinet and handed it to Dr. Blayberg and said, here's your old heart. Dr. Blayberg held his heart in his hand and he was speechless. For the first time in all of human history, a man held his own heart in his hands. No words would come. But after a few moments, Dr. Blayberg began to speak. And after a few words, he took a, a final look at his heart, now back in the glass container. And he said these words, this is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. And he handed it back to Dr. Bernard. He turned away from it. He left the room and he never picked up his old heart again. You see, Dr. Blayberg, he didn't need a doctor to come in and to fix his old heart. His old heart was diseased and it was dying. What he needed was a new heart. You know what Nicodemus didn't need? He didn't need a religion to come in and try to fix his old, diseased, and wicked heart. He needed to have a conversation with someone who could give him a new heart. Hey, you and I, we don't need a religion to try to come in and fix what is broken. We need a Redeemer to come in and to give us what is new. Nicodemus did not need a new religion. He needed a new life. He needed a new heart. You ready? He needed to be born. Again, Ezekiel tells us that God saw this day, this conversation. Our meeting here today, God saw it coming to be. And it says this, moreover, God would say, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you'll be careful to obey my ordinances. Anthony, what does it look like to be born again? This is what it looks like to be born. To be born again. You might be a believer here. You might say, if you, I've already been born again. What, what does a conversation like John chapter 3, this Nick at night scene, what, what does it have to do with me? Well, what difference does a message like this make in my life today? Have you really already lost the wonder of being born again? Have you really already lost the wonder of a new heart? And new life that Jesus can bring. 
Hear me, if you are in Christ today, you have been born again. Hey, let me just tell you some truths about that. Number one, being a born again means Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin. That never again will you and I face the penalty of our sin that leads to death. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has saved you from the penalty of your sin. I'm going to tell you something. I don't need drums to celebrate that. I don't need the lights on this stage. Lock up this building. Kick me out in the parking lot and I can still celebrate that Jesus has saved me from the penalty of my sin. But not only that, that Jesus is saving us from the power of sin. Meaning this, because we are born again, we have a new heart, we have a new life. Jesus, through his spirit, is actively working in us, saving us from the power that sin has in our everyday. Hey, church, that's what it looks like to be born again. And here's the hope of being born again, that one day Jesus will save us from the very presence of sin. Hey, the sin that has so easily entangled us, the sin that we've wrestled so long with, that one day the very hope of being born again is that Jesus will save us forever from the presence of sin. What does it mean for me that I'm born again? Jesus has saved me from the penalty, is saving me from the power, and one day will save me from the presence of my sin. Here's how Paul would frame it up. I love this. For every born-again believer, Romans 6, 11, in the same way, watch this, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That we can celebrate that by being born again, a new heart and a new life, we can count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Because of Jesus. What does that really mean for me? You ready? You fill in the blank. Because you are born again, listen, you are able to fill in the blank. So let's just do it. You ready? Count yourselves men. Dead to pornography, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The majority of men in this room at some point have struggled and seen pornography in a growing number of women. And yet we realize that being born again means that we can be dead to pornography and alive to God, meaning this, we know freedom from the guilt and shame and we know the hope of a restored relationship with God the Father, with our wives, with our families. Listen, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God because of Jesus. How would you fill this in? Count yourselves dead to worry, but alive to God because of Jesus. Hey, count yourselves dead to fear, but alive to God. Hey, count yourselves dead to guilt. Count yourselves dead to shame. Count yourself dead to darkness, to hiding. You know what's amazing? I don't even have to fill in that blank for you. You've already filled it in for yourself. What does it mean to me that I could be born again? It means that I have the power because Jesus is in me to count myself dead to anything that doesn't honor him, 
because I am alive to God because of Jesus. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ. So church, you are born again. You have a new heart. You have been made new. Here's my challenge to you. Start acting like it. Start living like it. And be careful to love Jesus for it. Because being born again is only something he can do. No religion, no Baptist, no Methodist, no Pentecostal, no Presbyterian, no Church of Christ, no Church of God can ever make you born again. Only Jesus. Nicodemus, you being a Pharisee, you being part of that Sanhedrin, you being a Jew, you being religious, could not bring you a new heart and a new life. (laughs) Only the man you're having a conversation with at night can do that. I'm 40. I can't remember anything. Is there any other man in the house? Because you know, I just don't remember much. I, I don't, I, I've never been able to have a good memory of a lot of things. Always been a struggle. There's four days I remember vividly. Ten years ago, I was in Charlotte. My wife was fixing to have our firstborn child. I remember the day Avery was born. It was a traumatic day for us. I nearly watched my wife bleed to death. She nearly died, but we, but we believe that the hand of God, what the doctor said, but for the hand of God, she would have. But soon after all of that tragedy, Aaron was being tended to, and I got to sit in the room with Avery. And they're doing something a little weird these days called chest-to-chest time. And, and I got to do that with my daughter. And I held her little body. And you know what? I, I remember this day for Avery. And then I remember our C-section babies. All three of them following that. Man, I love C-section. If you could do it, go for it. Man, you get up. You get a biscuit on the way to the hospital. You put it on the calendar. Get a biscuit on the way to the hospital. And man, with a couple hours, you should kid. I mean, I don't know how moms do, but I loved it. It was great. But because she had C-sections, I got to spend really the first moments with Chloe and and Sadie and my son Bennett. Sitting there in hospital scrubs. Trust me, they don't make them for people my size. And I just barely can breathe. And I just remember sitting there and I'm holding my kids. And here's what I wanted to do with each of them. I wanted to be the first person to kiss on them. So, man, I just kissed all over their cheeks. I want to be the first person to pray over them. So I held them on my chest. and Man, I, I sang over them. And I remember praying over each of them. I remember those moments I just would go, God, and with every one of them, God, I can't believe you let me be a dad. I can't believe you think I'll help keep this thing alive. And I just, all those emotions that you're praying... But I remember quickly holding each of my kids and thanking God that they were born 
but praying for them for the day that they would be born again. For the day that they would know Jesus. That they would love Him and follow Him. And they would know new life. Listen, I'm a pastor. I don't ever want to give my kids religion. I want them to know the relationship I have with Jesus. I, I don't ever want them to go around as a Baptist or a Catholic or a, you name it. I just want them to have one name, and that is the name of Jesus. And so every, over every one of my kids, as I laid them on my chest, I just prayed for the day that God, would you give them a new heart and a new life? And would you help them to be born again? Would you help them to be born again one day? So that when my daughters are told that you live in a world where you need to follow your heart, they go, no, that's not how I was raised. I'm putting a leash on that heart. And I'm making it follow truth and I'm making it follow Jesus. In a world that's going to tell them it's okay because you were born this way, no. Because I serve a Jesus who says the message to the entire world that cries born this way is you must be born again. You see, I, I'm going to do a lot for my kids. I mean, I'm coaching their teams. I'm driving them to practice. I'm killing spiders. I'm chasing away monsters at night. I'm holding them when they're sick. I'm giving them natural medicine when they're sick and then the hard chemical stuff. I'm doing it all as a dad. But I'm going to tell you something. And dads, I want you to hear me. I would die for my kids, but there's one thing I can't do for them, and I can't save them. My daughter Avery, my daughter Chloe and Sadie, my boy Bennett, every one of them have a diseased heart. They're born with it. They have a sin nature that's going to spend the rest of their lives trying to destroy them to bring them from God. I can't save them from it. I would if I could. I just can't. But I have one message of truth, one message of hope, one message of love for my kids. Have a conversation with a man by the name of Jesus. You must be born again. Hey, Nick. You'll never see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Let's pray together, can we? If you're a believer in the house, you've probably had this Nick at Night episode play out in your life already, right? It's a conversation with Jesus calling out for him to save you to which he did. You have a new heart, a new life. You've been born again. And yet sometimes it's really hard to remember that truth. And so I wonder right now in your spirit if you couldn't just do this. 
You spend some time with the Lord, that Romans 6.11 passage, and say, you know what? I've not really acted like it, and I've not really lived in it, that I'm really born again, a new heart, a new life. Because you know what we might need to do right now? Is we might need to say this, God, you know what? It's time that I start counting myself dead to, and you fill in the blank. I'm going to start counting myself dead to this sin because I have been made alive to God because of Jesus. I am born again. And so I wonder, all over this room, if believers won't just quote a passage of Scripture like Romans 6, 11, and in the strength of being a born again, child of God, new heart, new life, Say today, I must count myself dead to this. To pornography and pride. To apathy and addiction. To however you would fill in that blank. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.